This is Anchored in Christ, the sermon podcast that gives you hope in the gospel as an anchor for your soul. Brought to you from Old South Presbyterian Church in Newburyport, Massachusetts. So our scripture reading this morning is from Revelation 15. And if you have your Bible there, you're welcome to follow along. Uh, we've got several chapters we're kind of trying to put together. And so um, I've, uh, I've just selected a few pieces there. Um, can everybody hear me okay? Do I get a, do I get a nod? There's a nod. Okay, good. Um, so the first scripture lesson is from Revelation 15, verses 1 through 8, and then 16, 1. And then we'll turn to chapter 18, 4 through 10, okay? So let us listen to the reading of God's holy word. Then I saw another potent in heaven, great and amazing, seven angels with seven plagues, which are the last, which are the last, for with them the wrath of God is ended. And I saw what appeared to be a sea of glass mixed with fire, and those who had conquered the beast and its image and the number of its name, standing beside the sea of glass with harps of God in their hands. And they sing the song of Moses, Moses, the servant of God, and the song of the Lamb. Great and amazing are your deeds, Lord God the Almighty. Just and true are your ways, King of the nations. Lord, who will, who will not fear and glorify your name? For you alone are holy. All nations will come and worship before you, for your judgments have been revealed. After this, I looked, and the temple of the tent of witness in heaven was opened. And out of the temple came the seven angels with the seven plagues, robed in bright and pure bright linen, with golden ashes around their, across their chests. Then one of the four living creatures gave the seven angels seven golden bowls full of the wrath of God who lives forever and ever. And the temple was filled with smoke from the glory of God and from the, his power. And no one could enter the temple until the seven plagues of the seven angels were ended. Then I heard a loud voice from the temple telling the seven angels, go and pour out on the earth the seven bowls of the wrath of God. And then in chapter 18, verses 1 through 8, verses 4 through 10, 18, 4 through 10. Then I heard another voice from heaven saying, come out of her, my people. Actually, I'm going to read, uh, I'm going to start uh, with Babylon a little bit earlier. So let's look at uh, uh, Revelation 18:1. After this, I saw another angel coming down from heaven, having great authority, and the earth was made bright with his splendor. He called out with a mighty voice, fallen, fallen is Babylon the great. It has become a dwelling place of demons, a haunt of every foul spirit, a haunt of every foul uh, foal bird, a haunt of every foal and hateful beast. For all the nations have drunk of the wine of the wrath of her fornication, and the kings of the earth have committed fornication with her, and the merchants of the earth have grown rich from the power of her luxury. Then I heard another voice from heaven saying, come out of her, my people, so that you do not take part in her sins and so that you do not share in her plagues. For her sins are heaped high as heaven and God has remembered her iniquities. Render to her as she herself has rendered and repay her double for her deeds. Mix a double drought for her in the cup she mixed 
as she glorified herself and lived luxuriously. So give her a, like a measure of torment and grief, since in her heart, she says, I rule as a queen. I am no widow, and I will never see grief. Therefore, her plagues will come in a single day, pestilence and mourning and famine, and she will be burned with fire, for mighty is the Lord who judges her. Let's bow for prayer. We thank you, Lord, for your word, for the scripture. Um, we don't always understand exactly what it's saying, especially when we're reading Revelation, but we know that you have a powerful word for the nations and for us through this revelation of John. And so we ask that you would speak to our hearts and our minds this morning. And we ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, as Sarah said to you, I'm coming to you from beautiful downtown Spirit Lake, Idaho, and uh, live and in person, actually. And this reminds me of a television show uh, that was a comedy show that was on years ago called Rowan and Martin's Laugh-In. Any of you remember Rowan and Martin's Laugh-In? I see that hand, see some hands. Um, it was on television from 1968 until 1973. And I have to admit, it was probably one of my favorite shows uh, during those days. And one of the most popular comedy sketches on the show, some of you remember the show, may remember it was a, a, a sketch called, Here Comes the Judge. Anyone remember that? Sammy Davis Jr., actually Flip Wilson did it as well, but Sammy Davis Jr. played a magistrate who had on a black robe and he had a, a, a white, uh, a white um, powdered wig. And he would say this, he would say, you can testify, but you can't, you just can't win because I'm here to tell you, you're guilty as sin. Here comes the judge, here comes the judge, here comes the judge. Anybody remember that? And it was wildly popular. And, and in each segment, some hapless defendant would come before this judge and there would be this hilarious courtroom scene and all kinds of chaos and mayhem would result, break out. And then the judge at the end would hit the descendant over the head with a great big green gavel and send him out of the courtroom. Actually, uh, uh, a comedian named, named Pigmeat Markham was the one who originated the phrase, here comes the judge, and it, and it became a song. In fact, it was so popular uh, that Baskin and Robbins named an ice cream flavor after it. It was called, here comes the fudge. Here comes the fudge. Um, great, great flavor. I mention this because in these verses we read just a few moments ago from Revelation chapter 15 and 16 and then 18, I think they could be summarized in a sense with this same catchword or phrase, here comes the judge. In these verses, John gives us a vision of God, the judge. Now, you know, a lot of people today don't believe in God's judgment. We seem to live in an age where people are skeptical that there is any kind of final judgment or any kind of real accounting for the way we have lived our lives. Someone from the, our church just told me this last week that her sister told her, uh, her sister told her, I don't believe in judgment. I don't know what the conversation was, but she, I don't believe in judgment. And I think there are a lot of people like that. 
I ran across a chat room, uh, chat on internet the other day, and they were talking about, the question was, do you believe in Judgment Day? And there were, as you can imagine, there were lots of different responses. But here's one that, that caught my attention from one guy. He said this. He said, no, I don't believe in Judgment Day, just as I don't believe in heaven or hell. I believe that when we die, we will not be judged on how we have lived our lives. We will either become ghosts and remain on this planet until the end of time, become nothing, or, and then he said, and he said, well, this is going to sound a little ridiculous, but he said, our souls go straight to an Earth-like planet, and we start our lives over in whatever age we want, plus we get to dictate the, the direction we want our lives to go. Now, I don't know where this guy got all this inside information. But wouldn't, but who wouldn't like that? No hell, no judgment, no hassle. People obviously have different views. Many people are unsure or even skeptical of God being a judge of any kind. Or, or if they think of God as a judge, they think of him as a judge who is out to get them. I remember when I was growing up in the religious context that I was in, I always thought of God who was just ready to get me just ready to judge me negatively for anything I did, just would send me to hell at the drop of a hat. I really did. I really sort of saw God in that way. Later on, I, and when I became a Christian, I realized that that is not what God's judgment is all about. These verses that we read a few moments ago from Revelation highlight for us, I think, four truths that we learn generally about the judgment of God that I think are helpful for us to remember as we consider what John means in Revelation when he describes the coming of the judge. Let me share with those with you right now. First of all, these verses remind us, I think, that God's judgment is a reality because God is holy. Because of his holiness, God will not let sin go unpunished. In Revelation 15, 4, John says, Lord, who will not fear and glorify your name? For you alone are holy. Holiness is a central characteristic or quality of God. Thomas Terence says this about God's holiness. He says, there is no evil or moral flaw in God's character. Such qualities are completely antithetical to his nature. Holiness is the most fundamental and dominant characteristic of God. And we could go into, if we had time, we could go more into what we mean by this holiness. But God is holy, and because God is holy, he is merciful and just, and therefore cannot fellowship with sin. But here's the point I want to make. God takes sin seriously. In Romans 3.23, the Apostle Paul reminds us that all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. I often say that I believe sin is the most verifiable doctrine that Christians believe. I mean, every day we see the results and the effects and damage of sin all around us, greed and envy and violence and hatred and strife and lust and jealousy and murder 
and division and inequality and polarization, all kinds of things. I was uh, watching TV the other day and I saw a report on the news about thieves, thieves stealing from ATMs. You know, it used to be that a thief would follow somebody into an ATM and they might look at your credit card or they might be able to somehow find out how to duplicate uh, whatever number you used at an ATM. But they're saying that now what thieves do is instead of doing that, they just drive up to the ATM, they hook a chain on one end and another chain on the end of their truck, and they just rip the ATM right out of the building, right out of the bank or wherever it is. And they were showing these guys ripping these ATMs right out of the building, throwing them in the back of their car and driving off. Yes, so this is kind of a brazen sin. Now, some people don't like to call it sin. They would prefer to call it bad behavior, which it is, or personal failings or shortcomings. Call it what you will. Sin goes against everything God stands for, and especially God's holiness. I think I mentioned to you before uh, about the woman who went to a church service one time, but her husband refused to go. He was not a church member. He refused to go. And when she came home, the man asked his wife what the preacher preached about. She said, well, he preached about sin replied and what did he say about sin she looked at him and she said he was against it <laughs> see what essence what what john is acknowledging here is that when it comes to sin god is against it <laughs> in revelation 18 we read about god's judgment on babylon and you may remember that in the old testament god's prophets passed judgment on the actual city of Babylon. Among other things, Babylon was a place of immorality and ungodliness and sin. And as time went on, the word Babylon became kind of a code word, if you will, for any city or any place where sin was happening, defying God and God's will. And for John writing Revelation at the end of the first century, Babylon clearly stands for Rome the seat of power and authority over much of the world at that time. And the Roman Empire was becoming more evil and corrupt and immoral. And by this time, when John is writing the Revelation, it is starting to persecute Christians in a major way. And John hears a voice from heaven. Uh, uh, John hears a voice from heaven uh, from God calling his people not to take part in Rome's sin but to come out of her, Revelation 18.4. Don't be a part of it. And God is calling us, I think, to do the same in whatever Babylon we live in today. Secondly, these verses remind us that while sin and evil often does seem to have its way in our world, as, as uh, Arch was reading when he was reading that uh, passage from Habakkuk, even though it does sometimes seem to have its way, one day there will be and accounting for it. In Revelation 17, uh, uh, John writes um, of the seven angels pouring out on the earth, the seven bowls of wrath against, against sin. Now, if God were not a righteous judge, and if accountability for doing wrong was not something that we could count on, then the sin and the evil that happens in our world would be so much more difficult to take. 
if God didn't care about what happens, or if he simply ignored evil and injustice, then there would be a lot less reason to be good. God would be like a teacher that I had in high school. I don't remember her name, but this teacher was a well-meaning person, but she was so easily swayed by the students. And I remember she would give students a grade on a paper or on a test. She'd hand them out to the class. And then as soon as she'd handed them out, students would go up to her in class and argue that the grade was unfair and ask her to change the grade right there on the spot. And whether, uh, whether the argument to change the grade had any merit or not didn't matter. She was just so easily swayed. And a lot of times she'd, a lot of times she'd change the grade right there. She had difficulty controlling the class. She would tell the class to sit down or to stop talking and students would just do it all the more. And I can still hear her saying, this is years ago, you know, I'm not so young anymore. This is in high school and, and I can still hear her saying, class, class, that was the way she said it. She just had this kind of interesting, you know, trying to get the students to sit down and obey and no one would. And she'd never follow through on her, uh, her um, pun threats of punishment. Uh, and in essence, she let chaos and disrespect really run rampant in the classroom and didn't seem to do anything about it. Now, I have to say that at first, I felt sympathy for her. I felt sorry for her. I was an education major in college. I know that it can be challenging to uh, keep control in the classroom. But I remember, and I remember trying hard to support her uh, and not be like the other students who were giving her a hard time. But as her toleration of bad behavior continued, I have to say that I, I lost respect for her. I just not, could not respect a teacher who had no control of the students and who was always changing her mind, who never held students accountable. It just didn't, it just didn't seem fair. But here's the point I want to make. It would be difficult, like my teacher, it would be difficult to trust in or obey a God who was always changing his mind about sin, always looking the other way, always failing to hold evil and sin accountable in this world. Yes, there is much evil in this world. Yes, sometimes it does seem as if evil is winning and God is not doing much about it. But here is what John reminds us of in these verses, and really all throughout of the whole book of Revelation. God is a righteous judge. God is concerned about good and, about good and bad, right and wrong, uh, evil and sin, and injustice in our world. God is in the process of doing something about it, even when it doesn't look like it. And here's the thing, here's the thing. The way God does something about it is often through us, through his church, through you and me. God wants to use us as a primary, primary way that God confronts evil and sin and injustice in our world through our through our actions, through our words, through our lives, through our testimony, our witness. 
But is God's judgment something that we as Christians should be afraid of? Is it something we should be fearful of? No. Well, why? Well, I'm glad you're asking that question because that is the third thing we learn from these verses. And it is simply this. God's judgment is never arbitrary or capricious or revengeful, revengeful, but it always has a redemptive purpose. It is always for our good, and not only for our good, but also for the good of the world we live in. In Revelation 15, 3, John writes, Great and amazing are your deeds, Lord God the Almighty. Just and true are your ways, King of the nations. Some of you know that Debbie and I have been reading through the Old Testament the last few months. We just finished Second Kings, and now we are in First Chronicles. And as we've been reading through the Old Testament, I like to call it crawling through the Old Testament because there are places where you just get kind of bogged down a little bit, but you keep going. But as we've been reading through the Old Testament, especially through the book of Kings, we have noticed that God often uses pagan nations to judge his people, the Israelites, because of their sin, especially their sin of idolatry. Over and over again, when you're reading in First and Second Kings, the text says something a lot. The text introduces a new king, and there are a lot of them. And then invariably it says this, King so-and-so did evil in the eyes of the Lord. And as, we, as we're reading, I'm always thinking to myself, what's wrong with you kings? God tells you plainly what it is he wants you to do, but you keep doing exactly the opposite. Don't you ever learn anything? Now there are a few good kings sprinkled in and there, there here and about, but by and large, the kings in the Old Testament are a bunch of dopes, just dopes. They really are. And they never seem to learn from their mistakes or they just don't care. And it's so exasperating. We're, when we're reading through the kings, Debbie and I say, okay, we know what's going to happen. This is probably going to be one of those bad kings again. And what usually happens is God allows, uh, happens is God therefore allows some enemy nation to come in and punish the people for their sin. But as we've been reading, here's some, this is something that we have realized. God judges, God judges his people in this way, not because he wants to see them suffer, or because he gets a kick out of punishing his people. No, he judges them in this manner so that they may see the error of their ways, repent of their sin and turn back to him. And he will forgive them and heal them. And time and time again, he does. So what is God's judgment all about? Let me finish by saying this. That's the fourth thing we learn in these verses. And it's simply this, God's ultimate purpose in judgment is not to condemn us, but to save us. Not to throw us into the pit or under the bus, but to rescue us from the power of sin. Not to get rid of us, but to embrace us. John and the rest of the Bible calls, tells us that God's judgment is never meant to destroy his people but to redeem them and to help them become all that he has created them and called them to be. To bring them to a place where they repent, turn from their evil ways and put their trust in him so that they will experience the life they were meant to live. 
We just read from John 3.16. Sarah read it. For God so loved the world that he gave his only son so that whoever believes in him should not perish, but have everlasting life. It's a great verse. The problem is we often don't include the next verse, verse 17. Listen to it again. Indeed, God did not send the son into the world to condemn the world, but in order that the world might what? Be saved through him. I can see some of your voices moving, even though I can't hear you. Good, you're, you're voicing it. God's ultimate purpose in his judgments is not condemnation, but salvation. Yes, it is true. We will all stand before the judgment seat of Christ at the final judgment, believer and non-believer alike, to give an account of how we have lived our lives. Paul mentions this in Romans 14 in a number of places. What that will look like exactly, I don't know, but we will be held accountable. And, and that is sobering in some ways. But John reminds us in the book of Revelation and really all throughout the scripture um, that this judgment is not something for us to be afraid of for those who believe in Jesus. Satan and his minions and the evil that comes along with it will be defeated and destroyed once and for all. And we'll hear more about that later on in the book of Revelation. Injustice and suffering and death will be done away with. Because of what Jesus has done for us by coming into our world and dying and rising for our sins, we can have hope that even though we sin, Christ advocates for us. Even though we fall short of God's glory, Christ loves us with an everlasting love. Even though we are held accountable for how we have lived our lives, we know with certainly, certainty that for those who repent and believe in Jesus, he will redeem us and restore us and give us eternal life. And my friends, that is really good news. Let's bow for prayer. Thank you, Lord. Um, even for your judgments, because we know your judgments are righteous and true. And your judgments, the purpose in your judgments is not to destroy us, but to heal us. Not to do away with us, but to give us life. And to embrace us and love us. And so we pray, Lord, that you would just guide and direct all we do. And pray that it would be to your glory. And use us, Lord, your church, to be your hands and your feet. And agents of love and healing and reconciliation in our world that so desperately needs it. And so we ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you for listening to this sermon from Old South Presbyterian Church in Newburyport, Massachusetts. If you'd like more information about our historic church, or you'd like to find out more about the gospel of Jesus, please visit our website at oldsouthnbpt.org. The peace of Christ be with you.